Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and you're very welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner. Now my guest today is the Irish Examiner's intrepid political correspondent, Aoife Moore. Aoife, you've been writing some great stuff this week, I have to say. In particular, two pieces that caught my attention, which were somewhat related. One under the headline, uh, Sinn Féin can't keep playing the victim as scandal continues. That was on Tuesday. And on Thursday, you had a piece under the headline, politicians need to set an example and modify their own online behaviour first. Now, if I could just come to that second piece initially, you're saying, I think, that politicians, they give out about being attacked on social media, yet they follow and retweet and, as a result, maybe inflame the comments of some who are less than savoury. Would you be talking from experience there yourself, Eva? Yeah, so I've never really bought into the Shinnerbot thing, um, just in terms of that it's, you know, one party and this online abuse all stems from one party. I just explained to people there when you say the Shinnerbot thing, there is this phenomenon for those people who are sensible and thankfully don't have to engage in social media, if you ask me. (laughs) There is this phenomenon that's called the Shinnerbot thing, whereby they're a bot, of course, is an anonymous account, effectively. And this is a phenomenon or a theory or an allegation, whatever you want to call it, that there are hundreds of people out there who'd be supporters, if not members of Sinn Féin, who attack people who say anything negative about the party. Now, it's disputed as to how exactly real that is or how uh, widespread it is. But that's what you're referring to when you say the Shinnerbot thing. Yeah, so this phenomenon has been kicking about for a while. You know, the Sinn Féin need to get a handle on these anonymous accounts online um, who abuse people. And I've never really bought into it just because there absolutely is an issue with Sinn Féin supporters online, but there is absolutely an issue with our party supporters online as well. And I get it from all sides. So so I can tell you that they're, they're all bad, no matter what party they claim to support. And like for a lot of the people... I don't even think it's about party. I think for a lot of these people, they just they're just horrible online. And I don't believe that they even pay a membership to parties. And what I was saying um in the piece I did yesterday was that all politicians say that online abuse is wrong and that you know we shouldn't be engaging in it. Um a, a week after Joe Carey liked a tweet calling Holly Cairns an ignorant little girl. And I know from my own experience that there is a troll who is, it's an anti-Sinn Féin account. And they have been tweeting at me or about me since February, basically since I started at the Examiner with really sectarian, it pretends to be a woman, but it's quite clearly a man because it sends like really perverted, sexualized messages and at one point, it had two government TDs following it. I've seen that one has recently unfollowed it. 
but plenty of staff in Leinster House still follow it. And they probably think they see it as an anti-Sinn Féin account, so it doesn't count, um, even though it's abusing people online. And, you know, that goes for the other side too. There are plenty of anti-Fine Gael accounts who send sexist and horrible messages to TDs or journalists, and then Sinn Féin members or TDs will follow that account because it's seen as on their side. And the wider point I was trying to make is I don't buy that politicians actually care about online abuse when this is the this is the kind of accounts that they're following and perpetuating. Yeah, and just you mentioned there, I think Holly Cairns. Holly Cairns, of course, actually she was a guest on this podcast. She is a Social Democrat TD in I think it's Cork South West, and she brought up an issue. I think about the funding of Greyhounds and somebody attached to the Greyhound board described her as you say a silly little woman or silly little, something of that nature and that tweet was then was it liked by Joe Carey the Fine Gael TD I think he subsequently apologised for it but I suppose you're, that was an example of uh, a politician perhaps who whereas on the public face of it is very anti sort of abuse online that once the abuse is fired in a particular direction they're quite happy to go along with it. And and you, Aoife, as a, as a political reporter, you, you would be the target for a certain amount of abuse when you write stories that would be perceived by supporters or members of a particular party as being in some way anti their party. Yeah, so, like, I'm quite interested and I must be the only rabid shinner who's also a Fine Gael plant. I'd say they're all over the shop. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been accused of that and about about ten other allegiances. I'm all things to all people. Um, at the start, I think people automatically thought they knew where my bread was buttered because I can't get away from the fact that I'm called Aoife and I'm from Derry. So from that, you can probably equate that I'm probably a Catholic, and because I'm probably a Catholic from Derry, that I probably support Sinn Fein. Notwithstanding how reductive that is, um, that's how I was initially kind of assessed online and recently it's gone the other way. Now Sinn Féiners have decided that I'm jockeying for a job in the press office in Fine Gael and that that now I'm I'm anti-Sinn Féin and I'm just like the rest of the media and I just wish all these trolls could get on the same page. Yeah, and the thing about that, like, in fairness to you, you're taking it light, but the thing about that is you're a reporter. You're reporting what's going on. And prior to the days of social media, and I know this myself have been around a bit longer myself, but, you know, you were, you, you, you were a reporter and if people took issue with you, you might get the odd phone call and somebody would say, listen, I, I don't think you were right there, etc. or whatever. But in this current environment, as a reporter, and particularly it has to be said because women... Definitely, I think all the evidence shows are targeted far more than males. But in that environment, there for everything you write, potentially, irrespective of the fact that it's just factual and the news, when you're not writing opinion pieces, if it's perceived as being anti-something, you basically get abused a minute and you turn on your phone and there it is, all this level of abuse. Yeah, you can't win. And to be honest, like I don't get it half as bad as some other people do. And sometimes I feel like... This week, I've been feeling so sorry for myself because it's been so rough every day to get up and pick up your phone when you're just trying to do your job. 
And I don't know how many times I've said to people this week, oh, like it's not that bad. No one's threatened to kill me. Because that's literally the bar we're at now is that it's seen as not that bad if someone doesn't threaten to kill you. So I don't know what the answer is either. I feel like everybody's pent up and frustrated and everybody's looking for fault. But I do think the tone of political discourse in the last couple of months has been rotten. Fine Gael and Sinn Féin are jockeying to make the next election a binary choice between them two. And in doing that, you know, tearing each other apart, the motion of no confidence against Leo Varadkar was the most vitriolic, hateful thing I've ever seen in Dol Aaron. And I haven't been around that long, so there was probably a lot worse. But even as a northerner, I it's the only time you ever hear people talking about the north at length in the Dol is if they're talking about the provost. And as a northerner, you know, we have an uncanny ability to call a spade a spade. And it's really transparent to all the communities in the north. I've interviewed just this week loyalists and Republicans and none of them buy it. None of them think that the south actually cares about them. Because if you're going to bat around the troubles every time you want to gain some points off your opponent, no one actually believes that you care. So yeah, it's been... (laughs) So I take it from that, Aoife, that first of all, in terms of the tone of things, you say that has definitely descended in recent months. Do you put that down entirely to this opening up of a chasm effectively in Irish politics? It would appear, and these things are in flux, as we know, between left and right, and the standard bearers there would appear to be Sinn Féin on the left and Fine Gael on the right, and, and, and therefore they purposely target each other. I mean, do you think that's the main reason or is there anything else at work that, it, that it has started to come to the surface in recent months? Well, I think, like, you would be a fool to say that Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael especially um, are threatened by how well Sinn Féin are doing in the polls. I think when they see Sinn Féin doing well, the gloves come off. And equally, when Sinn Féin get that boost in the polls, they think their messages are working. So why, you know, don't change it if don't change it if it's working kind of thing. So I think, you know, it, they want it to be a binary choice. And by further pushing people into corners to either be pro Sinn Fein or pro Fine Gael, the the discourse just gets worse and worse. And we're at a point now where like <laughs> it seems like they all can't stand one another when you see them in the doll. Like it's so, so hateful. And the thing that bothers me the most about it is it doesn't serve anybody. We're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a homeless crisis. There's so much other stuff going on and we are wasting time talking about social media and making stupid ads for Twitter to pull down your opponent when really we should be trying to fix what the actual problems are because realistically, the election's about four years away. Yeah, that's a very good point. One quick thing that would strike me though about that kind of um, chasm, whatever you want to call it, between the two of them, I would have thought to a certain extent they're not fishing in the same pool for votes. I mean, you know, if you were to say that they represent two ends of the political spectrum at the moment, then you have the likes of, for example, Fianna Fáil, Labour Party, Social Democrats, the Greens, and then perhaps further left, people for profit, etc. That I would have thought that Fine Gael and Sinn Féin 
to a large extent, are fishing in separate pools, yet at the same time, as you say, they seem to be going at it like cats and dogs with each other. I know, and like the thing, obviously, everyone has noticed is that Sinn Féin has been eating Fianna Fáil and Labour's lunch for the last number of years, and that's not going to change. And I think what the the next election, whether it be between Fine Gael and Sinn Féin, I think you are right. I don't think they're fishing in the same pool. And I think the, the issue with Twitter is most people on Twitter who are interested in politics have already made up with their minds what they think of Fine Gael and what they think of Sinn Féin. And you'd wonder, you know, why are they doing it? Is it just for the headlines? Is it just to stay relevant? But also it's worth bearing in mind that Fine Gael and Sinn Féin do a lot of internal polling. You know, they're always doing polling and they obviously are seeing that whatever they're doing is working and that's why they're doing it. Yeah, it is a bit depressing on one level. I suppose on a more positive level, there's a huge argument to be made that politics in general in this country would benefit from a left-right divide. Particularly, I would suggest that I don't think Fine Gael are that far to the right. I don't think Sinn Féin, despite what they portray themselves, are that far to the left either. But there's definitely a difference there, the kind of difference that was never there, for example, between Fine Fáil and Fine Gael. So to some extent, you could say that people... Um, if things develop along these lines, will be given a real choice in terms of the type of politics they um, they want to uh, to align to. Yeah, and I think that's what the, in, in the end, when it comes to an election, what Fine Gael are going to come up against is that no one is ever going to believe that voting for, you can't run a Fine Gael message that Fine Gael is a vote for change. It's not, and that's why Sinn Féin you know, that's what they have going for them is like they keep talking and they keep hammering at home. I think I've heard Mary Lou McDonald say I vote for change about a million times. And that's what they want the message to be. Sinn Féin are hammering this. A vote for us is a vote for change. You know, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael have ran the party for, or ran the country, sorry, for the last hundred years. And this is why it's on the state it's annoying. And if you vote for us, we're going to change it. Yeah. The other side of that kind of Aoife is I'm... Going back a number of years, um, 2002 in particular, but also 2007, uh, it was a question of, do you want to change? Do you want to change? And the response was, no, 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 we're doing grand things are fine. <laughs> Even though in 2007, all the signs were there that something was not right. But that that's exactly the thing. But I suppose t- t- to the extent we're in a different dispensation now, particularly you have a lot more people who are disaffected with mainstream uh, politics. You also have, I would think, a chasm opening up as well. And I think, unfortunately, this might become more apparent as we come out of the pandemic and hopefully not, but possibly go into a recession. And that is a lot of younger people are going to be very disaffected because particularly jobs is one thing, but even probably more so housing. They're going to affect younger people disproportionately far more and the the less well-paid people as well. And I think that's the kind of pool you will see Sinn Féin fishing in to a large extent. I think the biggest issue for Sinn Féin if they get into government is the fact they have always campaigned on the message about insiders and outsiders and the elite. And they have mopped up the disaffected voters 
and said, you know, the country's in the state it is because they don't care and it's a boys club and they're the elite. But it's really hard to slag off the elite if you're in government. And if Sinn Féin get into government, that message isn't going to fly anymore. That, uh, you know, like you're, the state's in the way it, it is because of them. And I think they're really going to struggle because they've kind of built their political machine around this insiders-outsiders thing. And once they get in the government, they're going to have to find another message of like how they're going to run the country, whether it's how they end up running the country and who they're in coalition with. But I think that's one issue they're going to have. Disaffected young people is another one because I think if Sinn Féin get into power on this wave of, you know, a vote for change, change takes a long time. There are civil servants and coalition partners that you need to deal with and the housing crisis isn't going to be fixed tomorrow. And Sinn Féin have made a lot of promises about what they're going to do. And it's not going to be quick, like to turn the country around, isn't going to be quick. And I think they're going to find it a lot harder when they're in government than they're letting on now. They'll certainly find it strange, but do you know something? I've seen Sinn Féin operate for a while and I'll say this much, they do politics extremely well. Governing is a different issue, but they do politics extremely well. And I'd be very confident that even right now, they are preparing for that transition you're talking about. But irrespective of all the preparation in the world, you're right, though, too. It, it'll still be difficult and you you can only play the outsider for so long, even though our friend, our friend in the States, Mr. Trump, kept hammering away at that notion even when he was running the country. But um, if another thing that strikes me there in terms of you're there in Leinster House and as you mentioned, there's particular views and as is quite obvious from your lovely accent, you're coming down from Derry. Um, do you find attitudes down here in any way different to you on the basis of being from Derry? Absolutely. Um, I think young people um, that I deal with and people my own age are a lot more interested and don't have preconceived notions a lot of the time. They, they'll ask a lot of questions about the troubles, you know, I often people will lament to me that they haven't been taught enough about it at school. And they always have loads of questions. Um, and with and with um older people and especially around Leinster House, their minds are made up. Um, a lot of people have a lot of opinions about the North, um, having never lived there or um spent any long period of time there, uh, or had anything to do with the peace process and it's incredibly clear sometimes you know the lack of interest in the north um when they try and compare things like you know how much they get paid in pensions or the housing list or anything like that um it's not comparing like we like and it kind of betrays their own ignorance a lot of the time um but I definitely notice it more with older people rather than people in their 20s and 30s so to that extent, do you think that people view the North nearly exclusively people of an older age group through the prism of the Troubles and therefore where somebody or their family may have stood or aligned themselves during the Troubles? I don't know about that. I do think they see the North through the prism of the Troubles. And like I tell you, I've told the story a couple of times, but this is the kind of mindset um, that we're dealing with in Leinster House. So 
there's a hot desk room in Leinster House um, where, you know, like <laughs> leftover journalists go if you don't have your own office. So the journal.ie uses it, the Irish Mirror uses it, the Mail uses it. And it's just a room with some desks in it. And about two years ago, PA hired myself and Kate McCurry um, to work in PA in Dublin um, from Derry. Kate is from Dungannon. About three days after we started, we were in the hot desk room couple of days and there was a map on the wall of Ireland there's maps all over the room on the walls of different voting maps and constituencies stuff like that and there was a map of Ireland and the north was blanked out because it must have been a constituency map for the election or something so the north was all in white and a couple of days after I started and all our journalists had went over to the poster when we weren't there and wrote Madland on it in pen and when we came back in, it was clear, no, like it had been done. And like, I know that that person probably thought that that was a joke, like doing it to take the piss or whatever. But that is so, so telling of how the North and people from the North feel they get treated when they're in the South. Really, in general terms, that there's a very much, a, like, for example, if I was to go to the North myself and live up there for a period, I wouldn't expect I'd be treated that differently. Maybe maybe I'm completely ignorant in that regard. I wouldn't expect I'd be treated that differently, apart from the fact no one would have a clue what I'm saying, but irrespective of that. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, did you really, you, you, you notice uh, a mentality that's beyond just coming from a particular region of the island, to put it that way? Oh yeah, totally. Like the perception, um, I've talked to a couple of People living in the south um, from the north and they the thing constantly comes up is you're not considered really Irish or as Irish as other people. That comes up quite a bit. You're made to kind of feel like you're not fully Irish. And I remember like during the summer I was getting trolled on Twitter about something else or other and someone said, if you don't like it down here, why don't you go back to Northern Ireland? And I remember thinking, like, like the, <laughs> just so stupid. Like, as an Irish person, and I consider myself Irish and working in Dublin or whatever, but to go back to Northern Ireland, like, it was yeah. like a parody of something that you would say to somebody. But that is, and do not get me wrong, that is not obviously par for the course. You obviously feel, I feel welcome in Dublin. I wouldn't love here if I didn't. But I do think there is at times a willful ignorance about it and a willingness to use all the bother and all the trouble that we have against us when it sits, whatever the agenda is. Yeah, I, I often get told to go back to Kerry. I often get told <laughs> not to be up in Dublin stealing jobs and what have you, but, I, but I, I'm, I'm making light of something that is not light, understandably, you know. But the other thing, um, Aoife, and it's a thing that often arises, I suppose, to some extent in the context of the troubles and attitudes, particularly among nationalist people in the North, and that is that I often hear people saying um, this notion that Northern nationalists, there's a constant theme there going back decades that they felt abandoned following the, the establishment of the free state down here. I mean, is that, is, is it, is it a, a, a cultural thing that's very noticeable there? Um, I could only speak for my community, my friends, yeah. my family, and absolutely I mean, just from my own like family experience, I can't speak to anybody else's. So I've talked about this quite a lot, but my uncle was shot and killed on Bloody Sunday. And 
there is very much a feeling in Derry um, in some communities that they were totally and utterly abandoned by the Republic during the Troubles when it got to the point that the British soldiers were shooting children, there was still nothing being done. And a lot of the fear that nationalists have about a united Ireland is that why should we go back and be part of a republic who didn't care about us then and they won't care about us now? And I think that's a totally valid fear. That's interesting. You're saying it's a kind of a, a reason not to want a united Ireland. Yeah, I mean, from I come from a nationalist community, and obviously, you know, as part of a nationalist belief that like someday Ireland will be united, but it's not going to be without a certain amount of resentment. Like that's not going to go away. Like they would rather be part of the republic, but they're not going to forget what the republic did. And I don't think you can blame them. And you know, for all the talk of you know, we'll never leave the North behind again. I think the COVID-19 pandemic and the two different um, plans that we had for COVID and the lack of communication about COVID shows that there is no real interest in the North. And even when it's to your, your benefit of your people's health, there's still no cooperation because it just doesn't suit politically. Yeah, it's interesting. I, actually, do you know what? The, the, there's a kind of a parallel. No, it's, it's a bit different, but it, it's a certain parallel that's always stuck with me. I spent a bit of time in London myself and I lived um, there in various Irish communities. But the, 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 there was a, a great line in, uh, oh, I forget the, the playwright's name, but Kings of the Kilburn High Road. And he was talking about Irish immigrants who were over there 30 or 40 years and they, they, uh, they couldn't relate to the country they came from. They weren't English because, you know, they quite obviously they even still had their accents and all, as one says to the other. We're neither English nor Irish, we're paddies. Uh, do you know what I mean? It, it, it's that. And it strikes me there's an element there of, 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 of what you're saying in that they don't feel totally aligned down here on the basis of having been abandoned. Yeah, it's not, I don't think, like nationalists don't feel Irish, I think. No, no, I don't, I don't mean in that way, yeah. But. but they do feel Irish, they just don't feel welcome or appreciated. I think that's more what it is. And I presume also then when you talk about in, in terms of politics and um, particularly, again, going back to the rise of Sinn Féin, Sinn Féin viewed in a particular way down here because of their history in the Troubles. And I think people will may dispute, but I think there was minimal support down here, certainly actively, for the IRA during the Troubles. Yet in the North, for various reasons there have been a lot more support and now we're talking about the, the, the follow on from that the evolution of Sinn Féin into a fully fledged political party etc but even though it's on both sides of the border is it viewed very differently in the north than it is in the south? How do you mean like the rise of the, Sinn Féin? No but the, 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 how, how people how Sinn Féin itself is regarded in terms of is it carrying baggage and I don't mean the past but uh, the structures of the past and all into its current guise how, how that is viewed you know it's viewed with some suspicion down here to some extent but would it be viewed very differently in the north? Um, no I don't think so I think you know the issues that plague Sinn Féin down here are issues the same issues that plague them up in the north you know we know that there are issues within um, the regional commons, like I talked about this in the article during the week, this notion of an army council is quite laughable when most of the time it appears Mary Lou, 
McDonald doesn't know what half of her members are doing. So if there was an army council, they're not working for their wages. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I don't think, yeah, I think they are probably regarded the same, you know, the same suspicions that say the likes of Fina Gale voters would have are the same suspicions that DUP voters would have about the party, you know, this notion of shadowy figures and somebody pulling the strings and all that. That's obviously, that's still prominent in the North as well. I think a lot of the unionist community believe, you know, that there's something else going on and they still, you know, um, advocate. I know the loyalist community of during Brexit have often said, you know, that Sinn Féin are basically threatening Republican violence if there was a hard border put on the island because every time they talk about, anyone talks about a hard border going back in Ireland, we do talk about violence because that is a real concern, but it's not, Sinn Féin's not threatening the violence, but that's how it looks to people in the loyalist community. So I, I'd say the suspicions that um, people would have done here are pretty similar to the suspicions uh, that people have in the North, but I think Sinn Féin have struggled. Um, they're, because they're an all-party an all-island party, they've struggled a bit with their identities north and south. And I think most people have noticed that Sinn Féin in Dublin is a very, they promote themselves as a very left-leaning socialist um, operation who wants to build loads of houses and fix the health service. Whereas in the north, although they are, they claim to be socialist, the historic ties to the Republican movement is a lot more prominent and we've seen these issues come up you know with the abortion legislation in the north you know Sinn Féin backed repeal 100% during the campaign but when abortion came up in the north you know they didn't tell their TDs what was going on and Sinn Féin voted against certain legislation which people you know rightly called them out and said it's, it was hypocritical um, so I think they have because voters are different in the north as well and the Catholic Church would be, I think when your identity is tied to your religion, the church is always going to have a stronger kind of pull. And even some of my friends, like in the North, would consider themselves maybe not pro-life, but abortion would make them really uneasy. Whereas most of my friends in Dublin don't feel that way at all. And I think it is a lot to do with when you tie a religion to and identity, people hang on to it a bit more. And I think that's why Sinn Féin are struggling um, to kind of toe the line between voters in the North and voters in the South because their voters in the North are different. Yeah, that is very interesting. Um, and t- taking that into account, that difference, Aoife, just finally to touch on, I think it was a yesterday Mary Lou MacDonald in an interview suggested, very, more than suggested, she, she predicted fairly firmly, that within this decade, we would have a united Ireland, wearing your political hat in one sense and wearing your Derry hat in another. Um, is that something you can foresee happening within that kind of time span? Um, I lived and worked as a journalist in Scotland during the Scottish independence referendum. And I saw how that happened and I saw you know, both campaigns. So the no campaign was very much like Scotland will lose its place in the European Union. You know, what are we going to do about the NHS? What money are we going to spend? And saw how fear of the unknown 
really affects people. And I think that will be a massive factor in any border poll. I don't think enough work has been done about how the NHS or the health service would work. I think there would be so much planning. There would have to be white papers. There would have to be focus groups, research papers done of how this would work. I mean, would we keep Stormont and the PSNI and all these issues have to be fleshed out. And I just think if we have an election in four years and Sinn Féin get into government, are they going to do it in their first term in government? Like, would we even be prepared? And I think if people thought that the country was not prepared, they wouldn't vote for it because that's what happened in Scotland. Yeah, just a couple of things in that. It is interesting. First of all, as I understand it under the Good Friday Agreement, I think is is it the British Secretary of State has to give the go-ahead for it on the basis that there is reason to believe there would be a good chance it would pass, which, of course, reason to believe is very different once a campaign starts and things change hugely. And then, as I understand it, that you would have one in the north and not necessarily on the same day, you would have a poll in the south, but certainly soon after it. But the poll in the north, if the result is no, presumably it's irrelevant then in terms of a poll in the south. Am I right in that? Um, yeah, so you're right in what you're saying. Uh, the Secretary of State is the person who decides. Now, I have actually um, done stories on the Irish government side of it, and I've sent um, freedom of information requests about risk registers. And the Irish government currently has Scottish independence on their risk register for justice. What, what do you mean risk register now, Aoife? So departments will do different risk registers of things that could possibly happen during the year so that you have contingency right. plans. And this Department of Justice in the Republic does risk register every year and on their risk register is Scottish independence but not a border poll. They have never accounted for the risk of a border poll. That's how much they don't think it's going to happen. And those risk registers, how far into the future do they kind of... It's every year. Plan? Every year? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, yeah, it would be interesting to see, definitely. You know, I mean, it would be a massive upheaval, I suppose, in the long term, it would make sense, presumably, but... Depends term, who you ask. <laughs> well, that's true too. It's long terms. <laughs> the long term can be as long as you like. It's a piece of string. Aoife, listen, it's great talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us today and uh, keep up the good work. You can read Aoife in The Examiner and I have to say, folks, personally, I think she's a fantastic addition to the newspaper and has been since she joined us. Aoife, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Cheers. Thanks also to our engineer, JJ Vernon. And thank you for listening. You can get us on the usual platforms and you can contact me at mick.clifford at examiner.ie and we'll talk to you soon, folks. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are like interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.